All right, good morning, Grace. How you doing? Oh, come on. How you doing? Well, hey, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And um, man, I just, first of all, I, you know, we have such an incredibly diverse church family. And I mean that. Like, you know, some of you heard about my calf injury, and there's been a lot of sympathy. Some of you sweet ladies, older ladies have shown to me, and I appreciate that. And then there are the wicked, sarcastic, making fun of me that has gone on. In fact, Pastor Will said, our pastor has been decaffeinated. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. <laughs> but I'm going to try something I, I don't think I've ever done, ever. I'm going to try to sit in this chair while I preach this morning. Uh, our coffee shop team was taking bets on how long I'll stay in this chair and they're gonna lose some money. It's gonna be great. <laughs> but man, I, I'm actually setting the bar very low for my first message of the series. So like, if you've got your sermon notes, you can look at the sermon title. I've entitled this, The Most Boring Message Ever. <laughs> and um, you're gonna figure this out as we jump into Matthew chapter one. And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at the Christmas story uh, through the pen of Matthew. Now, what you gotta know, first of all, is that Matthew, uh, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're like, okay, why do we have like four gospels that tell, you know, the same story? There might, you know, like John is very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but then there are like a lot of similarities, especially between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's, it's, it's interesting as you study this, they're, they're written to specific audiences. And Matthew is written to Jews who are trying to figure out, okay, is Jesus really the Messiah? And, and so he, he's actually writing an apologetic, it's a defense of this truth that Jesus Christ really is the Messiah. And so if you read through Matthew, in fact, this might be a great thing to do through this month. If you're not already on a Bible reading plan, man, read through the book of Matthew. And what you're going to see many different places is he'll say, as the prophet said, or as, as Isaiah, or as Jeremiah said, and what he's doing, he's actually tying Jesus and his life and ministry and even his birth, he's tying us to specific prophecies that have been given, and he's making the point, Jesus really is the Messiah. And so what he does, he, he starts off just in an interesting way, and so we're going to pick up our reading here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Solomon, not Salmon, you're like, oh, I'm hungry, uh, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. You guys still with me? Here we go. <laughs> and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, 
and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Nobody leave to go to the bathroom. I'm not done yet. <laughs> and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azar, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations, this is Matthew writing, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And thus concludes the reading of God's word this morning. Okay, real quick. How many of you zoned out while I was reading? Anybody got this memorized? All right, all right, that's right. Okay, okay, fair question. I want audience participation. How many of you, when you come to these sections in either the Old Testament or the New Testament, you either skip it or skim right through it. Just raise your hands. Raise your hand, and you call yourselves Christians. <laughs> now listen, man, I, I, I get it, right? I mean, like we read through this, you're like, are you kidding me right now? Okay, so, so let me ask this question, okay, because I know some of you are into this. How many of you are, are into genealogies? Any of you guys like dig into that? Okay, we see a few hands. I'm not really into this, but my mom is like way into this. Like you really don't need to do much to get my mom to talk, but if you bring this up, she won't shut up. Like she d does all those ancestry databases, like she combs through old books, she, man, she's found family all over the world. She's even gone to, to graveyards, going through finding gravestones and, and that sort of thing. And I'm gonna be honest with you right now. I'm like, hey, I've got enough family. Like I'm, I'm perfectly fine, family I've got. Like, and some of you, you went home for Thanksgiving. You know what I'm talking about. Like you're fine, we're, we're cool, we don't need any more. But mom, she wants to know where we came from. And, and she, so, so, so she's all into that. You know, you, you read through this and you're like, okay, why in the world would Matthew start off his gospel with this snooze fest? Like, I mean, what, what's, what's he up to? Well, here's the deal. He, he actually has a very specific point because remember, again, he's, he's writing to Jews. He's, he's making a point that Jesus Christ really is the Messiah. And there's going to be four essential truths that come out of these 17 verses. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I didn't get anything. Hold on. There's going to be something that I, I think we're going to see because Matthew has a very specific point in putting these verses here. He knew exactly what he was doing when he included the names and the facts that he did. And I've already seen a lot of you guys yawn. I'm telling you, hang with me. It's going to get better because there's something pretty cool. The first thing that, that we notice as we look through there is this. God takes his time. God takes his time. 
In fact, this ties back to what Pastor Matt was, was preaching last week. And man, Matt did such an awesome job breaking down Hebrews chapter 11. And, and just looking at this thing, you know, what do we do when, when God doesn't show up on the same timetable that we think he should show up on? I mean, why is God taking so long? But I mean, you think about it. This genealogy, it starts with a guy by the name of Abraham. And this was a man who, man, God had actually called him out. He, he was... Man, he was just a pagan dude. They, you know, he came from a, a part of the country. They worshiped many, many gods. God called him out. He followed in obedience. And, and then there was this night that Genesis records in, in which God called Abraham out of his tent. And he said, man, I want you to look at all of the stars in the sky. And he said, as, as, as many as, as of the stars as you see up there, he says, so shall your seed be. And, and from your seed, all of the nations of the world shall be blessed. And so he gives this promise, but here's the deal. In fact, I mean, Matt hit it in Hebrews 11. Abraham died and never saw that promise fulfilled. He never saw the Messiah show up. In fact, 2,000 years went by 2,000 years in which, man, the, you know, God had chosen Abraham and then all of his descendants. And, and they're like, you know, you pass down like, hey, you know, we matter because the Messiah is going to come. We, there, there's a Messiah showing up. And so, you know, you, you, you know, they go several generations and they end up being in Egypt. And then there's like a 400 year thing. And they're eventually the, the, the children of Abraham there. They are enslaved, they become slaves in Egypt and they're crying, Lord, how long? And, and so Moses shows up and, and he's almost like, he's a, a picture of the Messiah who was to come. He led them out of slavery and they thought maybe this is it, but no, no, I mean, he was just another man. He died and he stayed dead. And so there's this, this, this whole gap where prophets are, are, you know, getting this message from God, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. I mean, do you guys, any of you have that friend that always promises to show up and they just never show up? Like, you're like, you know, like, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, after a while, you know, you're starting to get this feel because the prophets are like, no, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And, and the people of God are still calling out, you know, how long, how long, how long? And there's this 2,000 year gap, but there's this angel that shows up to this little teenage girl Mary, and the angel gives her this message. You can read about this in Luke chapter one, that through her, the Christ is to come. And, and after, after she's given this, this announcement, she begins to sing a song. And there's a song that Mary sings in Luke chapter one. And probably in the Christmas story, like you've never even thought about this, many of you, the fact that there's this, the, one, the first Christmas song was sung by Mary. And in her song, there's a, there's a little verse of, of her song in which she ties everything all the way back to Abraham. It's in Luke 155 where she sings, he remembered, talking about God, he remembered his promise to our father Abraham, even as he said. But it took 2,000 years so what does this reveal? Well, it just, it just reveals that we serve a God whose timing is not always our timing. What, what, what did Peter write in, in, in 2 Peter? Remember what, what he wrote in, in chapter three, verse eight? But do not overlook, overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God's timing is not our timing. And, and we don't like that because like we're into like, 
like fast food type living. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like this stupid thing, I'm ready to walk right now. This is just not gonna happen. They said it's not gonna, it's, you can't rush healing. You just gotta let, you know, let your body do what God designed your body to do. You know, we're, we're into immediate gratification. Like for instance, how many of you have ever had a Pop-Tart? You've ever eaten a Pop-Tart? And it, just raise your hand. Oh, if you're not raising your hand, like you need to live life a little bit. Like, come on. <laughs> you know, like on the, on the Pop-Tart box, it gives you, here's how dumb we are. They give you instructions on how to toast a Pop-Tart. But just over the last several years, they've added instructions on how to microwave a Pop-Tart. Can I tell you that the time they said that you should put it on, your microwave on to microwave a Pop-Tart is three seconds. How tight is your schedule that you have to microwave a Pop-Tart? But dude, that's who we are. Like, man, it's immediate gratification. I want it now. I want it right now. But here's the deal. God's timing is not our timing. And the, the prophet Isaiah wrote something that I love in, in Isaiah 64, verse four. He said, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God like you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. But what was in Hebrews 11 that we looked at last week was this, this little phrase, like if you didn't catch it, because Matt didn't spend a lot of time there, but, but man, it really stood out to me. If you look at, a, at a Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, it talks about all of these people who were given this promise and it says that they died in faith. And what that means is they died without seeing the promise become reality. But yet it says that of those who died in faith, it says that God is, un, is not ashamed to be called their God. Okay, now that's stinking awesome. That is all. God is not ashamed to be called the God of not just a waiting people, but people who wait believing. And I think there's something that we need to grasp, maybe it's encouragement because there are those of us who are in a waiting season right now. Your timing is not God's timing, but God's clock keeps perfect time. He will always deliver on his promises. But it's not just that, that we see that God takes his time. Man, there's another part in here that we see there's always an unseen story. There's, there's, there's always a story behind the story. And so, so what, what I see here is, is like, like if you read the rest of the gospels, God broke in to human history and like a lot of people just plain out missed it. And by the way, before we start like throwing shade at, at all the, the Jews, like, oh, you know, I'll tell you what, they were terrible. If I'd have been back there, I'd have been right there, been part of the disciples. You would not. Like you got your own issues. We all got blinders. We have blinders that come from the way we were raised. We all carry this baggage. And sometimes it gets in the way. We miss what God is doing. In fact, can I tell you that probably there are people right here, you're missing what God's trying to say. You're missing what God's wanting to do. There are times we miss it. And what this points out is that they literally missed when God broke into history. And, and I think when we study scripture, we think that, that the Jewish nation was, was a lot more influential and a bigger deal than what it was at that time period. 
You know, you, you, know, you read through the Old Testament, you read through the New Testament, and, and of course, it's the story of God's work. It's this incredible story of, of God choosing his people. And, and man, it, man, the Old Testament's about Jesus, the, Old, the New Testament's about Jesus. The Old Testament is leading towards Jesus, then Jesus shows up, and then we see the difference Jesus makes. But, but here's the thing. Man, in this day and age, nobody cared about this ancestry line, this genealogical, genealogical record here, except the Jews themselves. They could care less. And you're like, well, there are kings. There are, like, David's. They, they, they don't know anything about David. Like, the, you think the Romans cared about, about the Jews? No, no. Man, Judea was a little backwater, Middle Eastern uh, region under the thumb of mighty Rome. And you're like, well, no, I mean, they, they, they had all these great names. We know them now, but I'll, I'll make my point. How many of you can, re, can tell me the last five kings of Slovenia? Anybody? 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 My point exactly. That's, that's, that was the deal. But here's the thing. God had made a promise to Abraham to bring salvation to the world and he was gonna do it through Christ. But what I love is that he also, he was gonna make a point. Listen, every one of the world powers were going to bow at the feet of Jesus. All of human history would be subject to this one event. Jesus matters more than anything. So at this point of, of history, you've got all these powerful nations, people that, 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 you know, that, that seem like they're directing the course of human history. And, and what Matthew shows us here in his genealogy is this. God is the one that is guiding it all according to his plans for the Messiah. And I just want to say something real quick. The world's powers are nothing more than an illusion. In fact, I'm, I'm going to just preach a little bit. I'm going to do it sitting down. Dude, the, those of you that your blood pressure goes up when you think about who's in the White House... Can I tell you that it does not matter who's in the White House when it comes to God's sovereign purposes? Joe Biden is not gonna change God's sovereign purposes. Donald Trump didn't change God's sovereign purposes. I don't care what's gonna happen, it's Democrat, Republican, whoever has the House, the Senate. I have two words for those of you that have put your confidence in the powers of this world. Two words, very, very simple, very simple message. In fact, some of you, this is gonna preach right here, this is what you're gonna walk away with. I got two words for you, chill out. Chill out. Listen, man, the world's powers are nothing more than an illusion. God is in control. God has always been in control. God will always be in control. Let me, get, let me give you just a simple example, okay? So, so we know part of the, the, the story here. We know that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem to be taxed. Like if you've been around, if you read Luke 2, you, you know that story, okay? So they, they have to be taxed. And so this, this taxation is imposed by, by Rome. Now, here's the thing. When we think of taxation, we're always thinking about money. And I'm sure there was some money involved, but, but it really it was a census. Everybody had to go be counted because Rome wanted to know how many people were part of their Roman empire. And so you had to go to your ancestry home to be counted, and so Joseph and Mary, they're in Nazareth. It's about 90, what, 90 miles or so away from Bethlehem. And, and what happens is that, that God arranges, Rome thinks that they're in control. He actually uses Rome as a means to get the Messiah to Bethlehem. You're like, okay, so what's the big deal? Well, it's because there is a, a prophecy that says, Messiah, he's not gonna be born in Nazareth. He's gonna be born in Bethlehem. 
And so God moves the thoughts and the intentions of the mighty Roman Empire to set up this census where Joseph and Mary are going to end up at just the right time, just when Jesus is going to be born. And you're like, well, man, couldn't he have just, just told Joseph in a dream to go there? Well, yeah, he's done that before. In fact, a little while later, he's going to t- appear to Joseph in a dream, tell him to go to Egypt after Jesus is born. But no, you know, there's a point that, that, that God is, is doing. God's saying, listen, those sovereign powers that you think are so huge, the, the world powers, they're nothing more than chess pieces that I am using to accomplish my sovereign purposes. And what that means for us today, every person that is stressed out by what they see, the stressed out by the stupidity that we see in government, at times the stupid, uh, I'm gonna tell you right now, this marriage defense act that they call it, the past is just ridiculous. It's just gonna, it, it will end up hurting us if, if, you know, whatever. But can I tell you, God's not like, oh, what did they do? What did they do? No, God's not done. All that we see, man, this, you know, you know, somebody told me, uh, I just saw, I just read a report that said, Europe, man, you know, there are less Christians than ever before. Well, here's the deal. God's still at work. Guys, we can't give, we can't give up. There is always a story behind the story. God is always using things both bad and good to accomplish his purposes. And I'm very thankful for that. If God's not sovereign, we're all screwed. Flood out. But if God is sovereign, if God is sovereign, I can rest in the fact that if God says it, it's going to happen. Just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not gonna happen. It will take place. You know, I think there's a lot of times we, we just look at bad stuff that happens. You're like, oh, there can be no good that comes from this. In fact, just this week, I, I, I ran into a couple people and I love, love, love hearing stories. And one, one guy was, was telling me a little bit about about his past and, and uh, failure. He was in ministry, had, has, had failure, and, and man, it like blew up. He said, I literally lost everything. Lost everything. Lost my family, lost income, lost respect, like shame, all of it. And he said, man, he said, for years and years, I've lived and I have disqualified myself. Man, I had it, God, and I blew it. You're done with me. You're through with me. And he said, I've looked at, he said, what took place I thought was the most hopeless thing. There's no good that could ever come. But he said, now, years on the other side, where I'm at, the ministry that I have, what God is doing, the family, the blessing. He said, I look back and even what I thought this failure, Satan thought was gonna destroy me, God can even redeem the worst and produce his good purposes. And so what this tells me is like, if you're here and you have disqualified yourself and you're saying that, that, man, this situation that I'm in, it is the worst, it's over, God's through. Man, if you're not dead, God's not done. Listen, don't miss this. Jesus Christ was the center of history then. Jesus Christ is the center of history now. He is not done. There's always, there's always an unseen story behind the reported story which is awesome. But, but, but it doesn't stop there because what Matthew's doing very intentionally, he's making a point, okay? So for those of you, let, let me just say this again. For those of you that have disqualified yourself, you're like, man, if you knew my past, if you knew the shame, if you knew the, the, the sin, if you knew where I came from, what I've done, who I've been, God can't use me, God can't save me. What Matthew is doing here in his genealogy, these first 17 points, is that he's making this very important this very important point, the gospel is for everyone, even outsiders. And I just, I just want to pause here. 
Somebody a little while uh, told me, they said, you know, they said, I, 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 I love attending church, but I don't think I can ever really be part. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, because of where I've come from. I'm like, well, what? What are you talking about? And, you know, they shared a little bit of the, the reasons why. You know, the, they, they felt like they could only be part of the peripheral. They could only, it's almost like I'll show up to watch other people live and worship Jesus, but I've just got to be a spectator. Guys, nothing could be further from the truth. Because you know, the genealogy, like, I know I'm, I'm doing a lot of teaching, but I've got to set the groundwork for where we're going for the next couple of weeks. In, 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 uh, in this time, you gotta understand that for the Jews, a genealogy was like a resume. It was like, it was like their resume. It, it, man, that's where you found a lot of your worth and value. You pointed back to who your ancestors were and, and, and all that sort of thing. And let's just be honest. Like for those of you that you've, you have your resume and you've put together a resume, none of you have come closer to lying or perfection by w- when you filled out a resume. Like you can act like you didn't do that, but you, what you do is you put all the good stuff. You, you know the job you're applying for. You talk about why you think you're a good fit for the job and man, all your strengths. And even when, when, when they say, you know, what, what are some of your weaknesses? You use like things that actually, like I work too hard. I love too much. I care, you know, like whatever, like we know. We know. And, and, and so what, what, what you got to know is that, that in this, this day and age, it was a very common thing for people to clean up and purge their genealogy. In fact, history reveals, this isn't scriptural, but ancient history reveals that Herod, the king who, uh, the, the king who was in power when uh, he was a ruler of Judea, when Jesus was born, King Herod, he actually, because he had some scoundrels and some weasels in his uh, family tree, he literally cleaned it up. He actually like cut people out of his family tree to, to show that, man, his line was just pure awesomeness and he should be the ruler of Judea. Like, this is what you did. Now, here's the thing. Matthew, like if you compare Matthew's genealogy with like, uh, you know, what you find in First, Second Chronicles or the Kings or, or even, even going back to Genesis, like everything doesn't match up completely because it was common that you would leave out uh, certain generations. He didn't include every single generation because as we're gonna see, even with his generations, he's making a point. But what's interesting is that of all the things Matthew could have left out, he didn't leave out who you would think he would leave out. He, he left in who you would think would be the last people he should live in. So l- let me give you an example. There are, there are five, uh, five names that are four, four ladies' names that show up in a genealogy. The fifth would be a Mary, who she had a little cloud hanging over her just because, I mean, pregnant. Like, we haven't had sex. Oh, sure. Like, like so you got that, a little bit of a scandal there. But then you've got, you, you, you'll notice that there are four names that are preceded with the word by. By Tamar, by, uh, by Ruth, by, uh, what was the other one? Uh, wife, wife of Uriah and, and so on. Like if you, if, you go, if you go through there, you're going to see these names. Okay, so the first, let me just, I'll just use an example. Tamar is, is a name that like, like if I ask you, hey, can you give me the, the background of Tamar? Some of you probably could. And then there are others like, uh, doesn't mean anything to me. So let me just break this down. So there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, uh, Jacob has a son uh, by the name of Judah. And, and so Judah has, has sons. And so his first son, his, his first son marries a lady by the name of Tamar. 
Well, something happens. He dies. And so there's like this, this uh, tribal tradition, this, this tradition that when, when a husband dies, if they do, especially if they don't have children, the wife then becomes, she's given to be another wife to the second oldest son because they want their, you know, their, their seed to, to continue, their line to continue, but it's gonna be even, it's gonna be in the name of the guy that died. Well, here's the deal. She, so she's given to the second oldest son, a guy by the name of Onan. Onan, and I'm not gonna get graphic because we got kids in here and all that sort of thing, but um, he doesn't complete the deed, if you know what I'm saying. Like, he enjoys, but he won't, he won't, like, he doesn't want to actually have kids with, the, with, with this lady. And so because of this, God is very displeased judges own and he dies. And so now, now there's, a, there's a third kid who's a lot younger, which is just starting to get a little weird. And Judah says to Tamar, says, you know, I want you to wait till he's older. I'll give you, uh, I'll, I'll give you to him and you can have kids and, and you know, we'll, we'll do what we do. Well, Judah doesn't follow through. He's like one of the, you know, like some of you guys have those friends that they always tell you, hey, we need to get together. Hey, you know, we need to get together. And you're like, after a while, like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Some of you like feel that way about me, but I promise we're gonna get together. But, uh, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? And so that's, that's, what's, that's what's going on here. And, and, and so finally, Tamara's like, I'm, I'm tired of this. She takes things into her own hand. She finds out that her father-in-law, Judah, is gonna be in this, a certain section of the country. So what does she do? Like, this is jacked up. She dresses up like a prostitute. And they would have these certain areas, like a tent, and where'd we get out? Like if you're working in the area and you've been away from home for a while, you can go here, there's a prostitute there. And so Judah finds out that she's there, goes into her, you get it. Uh, I'm not gonna tell the whole story. He didn't know it was her because he'd keep the face covered. That was just part of, of things. And anyway, he leaves. And then a few months later, finds out that his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is pregnant. And Judah hits the fan, big hypocrite. Oh, are you kidding? Bring her out, stone her. She is impure, immoral. Well, here's the deal. Tamar was a pretty sharp lady. When he came into her, she held on to his staff and another item that clearly identified that it was Judah that she slept with. And so they bring her out to stone her and she's like, the man that I slept with here is his staff. And, and, and Judah's like, oh, I gotta think the right word, crud. Uh, he's... <laughs> Oh man, I am in trouble. And she's like, he's like, man, don't stone her. She's more righteous than I am. I mean, that made for an awkward Thanksgiving. Like, I mean, it just got kind of weird, right? So, so you've got this whole thing. Like you would, like if you're trying to clean things up for the Messiah, you, you, like we don't, we're not gonna keep her in there. Well, then you have Rahab. She's another, her reputation, prostitute. You've got uh, Ruth, the Moabitess. And you're like, well, what's the deal with Ruth? I mean, she's awesome. We got a book in the Bible named Ruth for crying out loud. Well, here's the deal. The Moabites, back at, you can read about this in Numbers, the, the, the Moabites had this scheme. They couldn't, defeat the, uh, they couldn't defeat the Israelites in battle. So what they did was they came up with this scheme to get their women to sleep with the Israelite guys and to make God unhappy with them. And so there's like this really weird thing where the Israelites said, because of this, there is never to be a Moabite that shows up in, in any of the worship. They can't show up to the tabernacle. They were considered to be ethnic. Unclean. Like there were other ethnicities, if they would, you know, 
submit to the Jewish customs that could worship, the Mo- you were never to allow a Moabite person into the temple. And what does God do? Is he uses Ruth to be part of the story. She marries a wealthy, influential guy named Boaz. You got Ruth Moabitess. You have a uh, wife of Uriah, and you're like, okay. It's uh, Bathsheba. He, maybe that, that name rings a bell. It's who David had the, the affair with. By the way, Dave, you know, David, his, he has 30 warriors. They're called David's 30 mighty men. One of his 30 mighty men is a guy by the name of Uriah. Uriah goes off to battle. His wife is at home. It's just a jacked up story. David sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then tries to cover it up by having Uriah killed in battle. And he does. Uriah gets murdered. Anyway, you've got this whole thing. You're like, why in the world would he do this? Well, he's, he's making a point here. You see, there's a reason why he's doing what he's doing. He wants us to get what's, what's going on. Now, now, you know, like I said, Matthew didn't include everything there. In fact, if, if you look at Matthew's genealogy, and I gotta hurry, but this is so good. You, you look at Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy, they're, they're different. Like if you look at Luke 3 and Matthew, you're like, what's up with that? In fact, I've had skeptics that are like, you know, I just don't believe in the truth of scripture because if you look at the genealogies, they're different. They don't even line up. That's been one thing that's come up. You want a quick and easy way to refute that? Just, okay, let me ask you this question. Um, Do your mom and dad have the same exact family tree? Like, unless you're from Kentucky, that answer should be. (laughs) I'm like, if you're watching from Kentucky, I love you. I love actually my family's messed up. Uh, This is weird. I got to think this through. Like, this is weird enough. My uh, I think so. My dad's sister married my mom's nephew. Yeah, it's weird. I, I like my uncle is my uncle and my first cousin. It's kind of weird, but but like it's weak as still. They, they they diverge. You know what I'm saying? They diverge. They diverge. Well, here's the deal. Uh, uh, Matthew is recording Joseph's line. Luke is recording Mary's line. And you're like, well, what's, what's, why does that really matter? What well, matters because in God told David in Second Samuel. Chapter seven, that a blood descendant of his would sit on the throne forever. Well, here's the deal. After David was king, the kingly succession, he went to one of his sons by the name of Solomon. And then all of the, all, all of the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom, came through Solomon. But, it got, but, but they became increasingly wicked, so, so much so that in Jeremiah 22, uh, 22, 3, God actually says, because of the wickedness of one of his descendants, he says, not one of this king's descendants will ever sit on the throne again. So we have this dilemma. Well, this is where Luke 3's genealogy enters in, because Luke makes it clear that Mary, Jesus' mother, was a physical descendant of David through another son of David named Nathan. Not Solomon, Nathan. Which means that he had a legal right to the throne through him. Now, this, this takes care of it. Since Jesus was an adopted son, Joseph was not his blood father. This is how God actually did this. And in fact, what, what I like, and I, I'll, I'll move forward because some of you guys are like, are you kidding me? No, listen. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ was the only way that God could fulfill both of the promises he made. This is why Matthew's making a point. Luke is making a point with their genealogies. Dude, I love this. God is so much in control. Man, I love this. But so, so, we, so we, have, we have this whole thing. And, and, and you know, you, you're like, why did he leave these people in? Listen, what this reveals 
is this. Jesus came not just for insiders, not just for the clean. Jesus came for everyone. In fact, Jesus takes it a step further. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. Not the ones that have it all figured out, to think they, they, they have the, the, the perfect line. No, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. But I, I want to leave you with something that I think is very unique and it's just very interesting because if you'll notice at the very end, Matthew separates the generations into three groups of 14. You notice that? Again, Matthew knows exactly what he's doing. He separates them into to three groups of 14. Abraham starts the first set. David starts the, first set, uh, the second set. And the third set begins with Jeconiah and the deportation to, to Babylon. Matthew's going to make a point, and listen, every single person that is sick and tired of being sick and tired, I want you to lean in for what I'm going to share as we close our time together today. Matthew's making a point that Jesus is the ultimate rest. Jesus is the ultimate rest. Several years ago, one of my favorite pastors that I, I, man, he's just his writing has really impacted me, a guy by the name of Tim Keller. He did a study on these three sets of, of 14 generations. And um, like, I know it's been a while since some of you guys have been in math class, but uh, okay, so if you got three sets of 14 generations, if you have, you know, if you, if you divide that by two, you have six sets of how many generations? Good job. All you math people, like they never include math. I just did it for you and there we go. I guess we don't have a lot of math people here today. But anyway, uh, the, 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 the number seven is a very significant number in scripture. Now listen, I know that like numerology, like there are people that can go to seed on this. It gets really weird and all that sort of thing. Everybody's looking for hidden symbols. This is not a Dan Brown novel. That's not the Bible, okay? But, but there is something significant about this. Seven is the number of completion, of perfection, after God created, he created for six days. And what did he do? He rested on the seventh day. When, when, God, uh, when, when God gave uh, Moses the, the law, as part of that, Moses also, the, the, there, there was a law, there were agricultural laws, in fact. And one of their agricultural laws was that every seven years, the land would, what? It would rest, why would it rest? Well, they need to be replenished. They need to get the nutrients and that sort of thing. But then there's an interesting thing in, in, that's introduced in Leviticus 25, and uh, it's, it's called the year of Jubilee. It's the year of the seventh sevens. It's every 50th year, after, after seven sets of seven years, every 50th year, they would have what they called the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, it was a time of rest. Everyone rested for a year. And some of you are like, Lord, let's go back to the year of Jubilee. I think it's time. I think it's time. No, so, so here was the thing though. In this year, any Israelites that owed debts, their debts were completely forgiven. Secondly, for those Israelites that had had to, because of debts or other reasons, been put into to slavery, they had, they, their life was really not their own. They didn't have anything like that or, or they had had to give away their property. All their property was restored. They were given their freedom. So the slaves, the, 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 the slaves were given the freedom and all the debts were paid. Do not tell me 
that Matthew doesn't know his audience. He's writing to Jews. He's making a point, I believe, that Jesus is the seventh seven of the sevens. He embodies the year of Jubilee. Jesus Christ is the ultimate rest. This summer I preached from another passage in Matthew, where in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. And while I know you can go crazy with these things, I'm pretty sure what Matthew is saying, listen, when Jesus showed up, it was no accident. Where Jesus came from, how Jesus showed up, and what Jesus showed up for has always been part of God's plan. Jesus, he's gonna say, he's gonna later call him by another name, Emmanuel, God with us. He showed up to be our Messiah, the one who delivers us from freedom, the one in whom all debts are fulfilled. And we know what happened, guys. We know the rest of the story. Jesus didn't just come to be a sweet baby so we could sing away in a manger. He lived a perfect life. He was tempted in all ways, just like we are. One big difference, yet without sin. He literally was the perfect lamb, guys. And guys, man, for every one of us, man, to say, man, because of my past, because of my shame, because of all the junk, man, there's no way that I'm qualified to be part of this family. God knew that you were gonna raise that objection. And so he sent Jesus Christ, not just to be a baby, but man, to take our place, not just to take our place in a manger, to take our place on a cross. He hung on a cross, the perfect lamb of God, to become the sacrifice for your sins, for my sins. So there would come a day for maybe for some of you, December 4th, 2022, where you could understand that Jesus is your ultimate rest, that he embodies the year of Jubilee, that in Christ, you can be set free. All your debts can be paid. Here's the truth, guys. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. What is the gift? I mean, it's salvation through Jesus Christ. And guys, as we close the service today, man, what, what I would say is that it, one of the, what, what would I think be one of the most terrible travesties this time of year is for us who might find ourselves sick and tired, desperate, even hopeless. I've done too much, I've gone too far to miss out on the fact that Jesus didn't just come so we'd have a good story. He came for us and us include you. He came for you. And I love what John says in his gospel in, chapter, in John chapter one, verse 12. He said, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, which means that God is still in the business. He has a lineage that not only included outsiders like Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, literally every one of us 
that feel like we're unworthy of being part of the family of God. His lineage still includes outsiders like you and me. Will you receive this gift? Here's what I want us to do. I'm gonna close with a word of prayer. And man, maybe today God's been challenging you. He's been speaking to you. And what I'm gonna do is after I'm done praying, I just wanna invite you to come forward. Man, I'd love to connect with you and pray with you. We'll have some other people that'll be up here to help me out if we have more uh, people to show up. But um, man, this might be the message for you. The most boring part of scripture, a genealogy, reveals one of the most profound truths God came for us. Father, thank you so much for what you've done. And God, even in this moment, if there are, if there are uh, people that are in this room that have disqualified themselves because of what they've done or where they're at or, or, or the situation, the circumstance where they've come from, God, what I know is what you've taught us through these 17 verses is that Jesus showed up for everyone. Your plan is not about how, uh, you know, you know, how perfect is the place from which you draw your people. Your plan has always been about, man, what you can do through the people that you save. And so God, I'm just praying this morning that if there's anyone that has not responded to this incredible offer to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, to be saved from their sins, to turn from their sins, to, to be saved to eternal life. God, I'm praying that this would be the day of salvation. And God, for what you're going to do in and through your people, even this morning, we say thank you for this. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said... Amen. Well, man, thank you for coming to today, guys. Don't forget, Christmas traditions tonight at 5 p.m. show up. We're gonna have a great time. You're dismissed. If you wanna come forward to pray, we'll be here.